Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be continuing on with Chapter 2 of Mysteries of Creation. The title of the chapter is Wonders of the Universe, and this will be Episode 680 and pages 12 to 26 of Mysteries of Creation. Before we begin, um, I feel the need to pray and dedicate this program, so I'll do that, and then we'll get into the reading. O God, the Eternal Father, we come to Thee in the name of Messiah, that we may dedicate this time unto Thee to learning of Thy ways, to setting apart this time that we may come unto thee and come into thy presence. We ask thee, Father, to inspire us to know the true interpretation of Scripture. We ask thee, Father, to lead us in thy paths. We love thee, Father, and we dedicate this time unto thee that we may become thy humble servants, that we may be tools in thine hand to bring about the redemption of Zion, that we may be set in proper order and return to the restoration. We love thy Son, Jesus Christ, or Yeshua HaMashiach. We love what he has done for us in paying for our sins and our transgressions that we may return unto thee. We look forward to the time of thy kingdom upon the earth in its fullness and the fullness of thy blessings and presence. We love thee, Father, and we ask for the blessings that thou has for us as thy servants. I ask thee, Father, to bless those who hear the words of these teachings, that they may be led in proper paths, that we may shed away the darkness and the lies of false doctrine, that we have learned in the past and come more pure into thy presence. Please correct us in our our ways and give us thy spirit to be with us. And we say these things in the name of Messiah. Amen. Pages 12 through 26. Complexities of our universe, galaxies, and solar system 
The vast complexities of the universe extend far beyond the shallow confines of our mortal minds. We have only scratched the surface of knowledge pertaining to this world, not to mention the rest of creation. Our sun is only a speck among the endless galaxies that compose our universe, as clearly described below, quote, but great and glorious as the sun is, and seemingly so much greater than every other object in the sky. It is only, it is really only a tiny fragment, a mere speck in the magni magnificent starry empire of which it is a part. It is less to the material universe at large than a, glo a globule of our globe with all its with all its renewed por portion por our ponderous orbs. It is only one of an innumerable host of such suns and systems. There are myriads of stars in space immeasurably greater than it. And quote the, the gospel in the stars by Joseph A. Sis pages 9 through 10. Is it any wonder that Moses, after being shown just the world upon which he was created and the ends thereof, that he said, Now for this cause, I know that man is nothing, which thing I had never supposed. Moses chapter 1, verse 8 and 10. This book is dealing mostly with the creation of just our earth, but to better understand the magnitude and power involved in its creation, it is important to know a little about the entire universe and our earth's relationship to it. Page 13. Mortal man stands in awe of the wonders of the universe. Its beauties, balances, and perfections are beyond the grasp of man's finite mind. But it is not just with the natural eye that some of these wonders can be seen. Through the microscope, many more astounding perfections can be appreciated, and through the telescope, one can observe the expanse of the, of the sun, the moon, and the stars, as they revolve in perfect harmony. Pertaining to just our earth, the balances in nature, on the land, under the sea, and in the heavens provide evidence of how all things are kept under the utmost control. The organizations of every living thing is another wonder that baffles men, baffles men of science. The natural machinery of every physical body, with its plumbing, electrical, sensory, heating and cooling, massive library, photographic and energy system, is beyond comprehension. Then in addition, how these pieces of machinery can repair themselves are all wonders indeed. Going further, the construction of our planet, Earth, staggers the imagination. 
Such a masterpiece is beyond our comprehension. The exact tilt of, of this sphere to cause our seasons. The needed percent of oxygen for so many breathing things. The proper distance to the sun and the moon to give us the right temperature, tides, etc., and just the right size and circuitry of the earth for the proper weight, densities, and environment. These are just a few of the magnificent wonders of our little planet. They are constant, a constant display of ingenious mathematical, chemical, and constructional engineering. We live in a day when interplanetary exploration is becoming commonplace. Remember, he wrote this in 1989. Just, I think that the space shuttle program was still going on at that time. Uh, continuing on, we now have spacecraft that can travel through our solar system, photographing other planets as they pass by them. So thinking of the Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 satellites that have been sent out in space and the myriads of other satellites that have gone throughout our solar system. To the scientists, the universe is a frontier of great adventure as the West was for Daniel Boone. To the philosopher, it is beauty. To the poet, it is exotic verse. But to the religionist, the universe is a revelation on the purpose of life and the creation of the heavens. Page 14. Man builds a house by design, planning, mathematics, and proper architectural structure. But this is just a minor intelligent at work when compared to the complexities and perfection of the, of the earth and the universe. To further portray the vastness of galaxies in the universe, Dr. Warner Von Braun, the space scientist, explained... I cannot believe that the pro- the power which create created life and order confined all sensible organisms to this comparatively tiny planet. Our sun is one of t- 100 billion stars in our galaxy. Our galaxy is one of billions of galaxies populating the universe. It would be the height of presumption to think that we are the only living things in that enormous immensity. And quote, evidence of God in an expanding universe. Page 84. Before we proceed further, let's consider a brief definition of three of the terms that are mentioned in this chapter. Going from the largest to the smallest. Universe, the totality of all the things that exist. Galaxy, any of an innumerable large groupings of stars typically typically containing millions to hundreds of billions of stars. Our galaxy is the Milky Way. Solar System, 
the sun and all of the heavenly bodies that revolve around it. There are dozens of larger planets in our solar system. Oh, he says there are about a dozen. I guess this was before uh, Pluto was demoted. But we have, there's many planets, like planetoids, I guess what they call it, in the in the Kuiper Belt. I think it's the Kuiper Belt. Out past uh, Pluto and Neptune. But it, it doesn't matter. And then there's all of these stars and stuff. I mean, Titan and, and like all of these moons that go around these planets too. I, but they're all in our solar system. Even those... Um, things out past Pluto that revolve around the sun they're in our solar system anyway continuing on many new discoveries reveal the principle of astronomy never known before such as the gyroscopic action of all of, of all of the solar system Dr. Melvin Cook noted scientists explained how the planets seemingly hang out in space. I had the assignment of reviewing a scientific article on gravitation in which was shown that all terrestrial period... Sorry, I don't know how to say this word. Periodicities, I guess are an accurate correlation, each relating with precision to the universal gravitational constant, G. Okay, I have to go back to this word, periodicities. I want to look up the definition of it real quick. Periodicity? Periodicity? I don't know. Noun, mainly technical, the quantity of or character of being periodic, the tendency to recur at intervals. And that's from the new Oxford American Dictionary. All right, let's look at this other one. This one's from the Oxford Dictionary of English. Let's see here. Mainly technical, technical. The qual, quality or character of being periodic. The tendency to recur at intervals. Okay, well, that's interesting. I still don't know how to say it. <laughs> you know, like God has shown me a lot of things, and I'm really grateful for that. But I'm still learning. <laughs> trying to learn anyway trying to understand Uh, there's a lot of things I don't really understand and uh, I want to understand them so anyway that's why like I don't know if you know this or not but like as a truck driver I love it because I have time to myself every night because I drive at night and I just listen to lectures and debates and documentaries like all night all the time i listen to political stuff too i i enjoy listening to different <clears throat> different views on politics and like social the social uh stuff that's going on in our time but 
I really just love to learn. I love to learn history too, but history makes me sick to my stomach. Like just how people treat people. Just how people have treated people. Like, I know that there's a lot of good people in the world, but there have been a lot of bad people in the world too. And there have been a lot of people that have used people. And I just don't understand why anybody thinks that they have the right to hurt anybody else. Or anything else. But maybe I'm a tender person. I just don't understand it. And even though I I enjoy learning about history, um, it just makes me sad. That God's children could could do the things that they've done to other people, like different cultures, fighting with each other, and um, political stuff, and all that. Anyway, it's a little tangent. I don't know why I got off on it, but... All right, so we're on page 15. These include the rotations of the Earth around the Sun, the axial rotation of the Earth, all of the gyroscopic and other period... Seriously? Periodicities. Mm, I think I may have cracked the code to that word. Periodicities? We're going to go with that one. And other periodicities of the Earth, even including the secondary wobbles of the Earth. These same sorts of periodic motions are evidently similar, similarly correlated in all the planets and between all the planets as far as they are now known. The correlations in periodic motions extend. I think to all heavenly bodies, not only of the solar system, but into the much greater system of our galaxy. Into the clusters of galaxies and throughout the whole universe, even to the first and foremost creation, Kolob. Anyway, that's uh, Creation and Eternalism pamphlet, page 12. I don't know where that pamphlet came from. Ogden Kraut wrote 78 books and pamphlets. And maybe that's one of his pamphlets. I don't know. We know that our solar system is only a very small part of a huge island galaxy of which we are a little Milky Way. Our Milky Way appears to be a great cloud, which is actually a composite of billions of stars or suns. Estimates by a series of plottings reveal that our little system is composed of nearly 200 billion stars. If we were to travel at the speed of light, it would take us just a scant scant. 100 billion years to travel across this tiny galaxy we begin to realize the size of space we when we know there are billions more 
of such galaxies out there and some much larger than our own. I, you know, this keeps on um, coming up in my mind and it has been uh, for the majority of this reading. I'm just going to talk about this for a, a, for a minute. So... Uh, the people in control try to cause great fear to the people, like to the population. Like they control us with fear. Satan's whole plan is fear and control. And I remember when I was a kid, our model of the universe was that we had this sun that was kind of static in space and we had these planets that just zipped around it, you know, and then we had these planets that were further out, the asteroid belt that is actually between Earth and Mars. And then you had um, uh, Jupiter, Saturn, uh Let's see, I think it's Uranus and then Neptune and then Pluto. And then you have the, um, the ice rocks and whatever else is out beyond Pluto. And they're all just kind of like, you know, going around the sun on a flat plane. But that's not the way it is at all. Our sun is traveling at enormous speed through the galaxy rotating so like the center of the galaxy is like our sun and we're on the outskirts of of the galaxy we're like in the neptune position uh, if you want to think of like the diff are the similarities between our sun and neptune like the center of the galaxy we're way out there in the in the the furthest reaches of it and our galaxy at the same time is moving as well. But going back to our sun, our sun is rotating around around the galaxy. And the gravitational pull of the sun is pulling along all of this debris. And we're part of the debris field, basically. So you've got Mercury, which is closest to the sun. And it is being pulled along in the gravitation of the sun. And by the way... The sun's mass is 99.9% of our solar system's mass. So we're like a speck of nothing to this thing. And it is pulling us along at such enormous, enormous speeds. And you've got Mercury there just like in this vortex behind the sun, zipping along. And then further out behind, not on an even plane you've got venus and it's in the vortex and it's just zipping around behind the sun and the gravitation of the sun is pulling us all and then you have earth and it's in the vortex and it's going round and round and round you know and it's in the vortex of the sun and the sun is just cooking through the universe just at a mag magnificent magnis magnificent speeds and then you have the asteroid belt and then you have Mars, and then you have Jupiter, 
Now, I know every once in a while something comes into our solar system, and I know that there are things that, like, I guess they go in front of the sun, and then they, they, I don't even know how that works, but, like, so when I was a kid, um, I remember the propaganda that they gave us was like, oh, every once in a while that one of the, the asteroids in the asteroid belt would would get knocked off course and it would hit into something and then somehow that would cause this this asteroid to hurtle towards Earth. Um, but that would be like going uphill, I think. Like, we're being dragged along behind the sun. We're behind the sun. We're, we're kind of in a vortex behind the sun. And we are going around the sun, but we're not on an, a flat plane. Like, I was told back in the 80s and in, uh, in, in public school. And... The, the things that are out there beyond Pluto, like that was another thing too. They would tell us, oh, every once in a while something smacks into something and it enters our solar system and it, it just, it comes in and, and it's going to hit us. But like we're being dragged behind the sun and the vortex behind the sun and we're zipping around in a big old rotation, you know, behind the sun and the sun is moving and we're moving and I guess um, something could be pulled into the gravitation of the sun because we're all being pulled into the gravitation of the sun. But I just, I don't know. I just, I think that there's a lot of fear and propaganda about things that could only happen if God desired it to happen. Like, for instance, in chapter 8 or chapter 9 of the book of Revelation, um, it talks about Wormwood. I think it's chapter 8. It talks about Wormwood, this great mountain that falls from the sky. You know, that's something that God designed to happen at a certain point. It has not happened yet, but it will happen. You know, and actually, I think that we're in the times of, of the seventh seal where all that stuff happens. I believe the seventh seal was opened up uh, in January of 2017 uh, because of some stuff God told me about the time of darkness and correlating that with the the uh, the half an hour of silence in, in heaven and uh, I don't want to get into that on this program but I believe that we're in the seventh seal spoken of in Revelation chapter 8 and interest, interestingly enough I think Wormwood is in that same chapter. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, I'm not I'm not going to be scared of whatever happens because I understand that we are eternal beings and that our bodies are just a meat-covered skeleton that is a machine for our spirits to interact with the physical world. And that uh, though our bodies die and turn to dust, our spirit does live on. And we will be able to put on another 
meat-covered skeletal machine to interact with physical nature and physical matter at a future time. So, like, and I'm glad that we have the receptors and stuff in our body that tell us pain is happening so that we can, like, move away from whatever's hurting us. But... Even if we die an excruciating death, it is but a moment. And then we go into the spirit, and I can tell you, I find the freedom of being in the spirit exhilarating. And I know that we will have, um, we will have a, um, we will miss being in the flesh at some point uh, after we've been in the spirit for a while. But uh, being in the flesh now and the pains that I've had to endure in this life, uh, it is nice to have a little break every once in a while. But I I don't know. I just look at things from an eternal uh, perspective. And, you know, that doesn't mean that I I think that death is... is is something to ignore. I want to preserve life. I want to preserve life of of animals. I want to preserve the life of my my children, even my farm animals. I I can't. Um, I am the world's worst farmer. I've got 16 goats, and I have bought all the stuff to butcher, and I just I can't because I don't. I don't need it for one. I can go to the grocery store, but for two, I don't know. Like I just, all of my goats have such character. They're all unique and individual. And the ones that, uh, that I want to cull from the herd, um, are just the happiest goats. And I don't want to stop that. Like, I don't know. Anyway, I know I'm going off into tangents. I need to get back to my, uh, back to my reading. Maybe, uh, I should have called my program gospel tangents before Rick Bennett, uh, came about and started doing his, you know, I find it interesting. And I'm going off into tangents like crazy today. Like I've been around, on podcasts since 2012 and I started my 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 very own podcast and I wasn't being a co-host on anybody else's internet radio show slash podcast um starting in 2014 and this episode is 680 in um my fundamentally mormon podcast but I had like almost 500 podcasts in my old podcast, the kingdom of God or nothing. And I look at these guys that come up like Rick Bennett and, um, uh, well, gospel tangents and, um, like Mormonism with the Murph and then like all of the ones that have come and gone. And I'm still here. And, I see them rise and fall, except for maybe, um, uh, except for maybe, uh, John DeLynn, you know, and, uh, Bill Real, 
drives me insane. Uh, but I've even I even was around before RFM, you know, and I just look at all these people and I think, why don't I reach a larger audience than they do? I mean, I think all of the stuff. I'm the only one <clears throat> that talks about deep doctrines. I'm the only one that talks about deep, deep doctrines. All these other ones talk about historical stuff and like whatever. And I'm just here, like, trying to talk about all this stuff that uh, was restored in the beginning of the church and, and all the stuff I talk about, and I'm relatively unknown. I mean, the Kingdom of God or Nothing podcast and radio show had over 100,000, like, downloads among the not-quite-500-episodes that I did. But I think this program, since I started this one and revamped, I started this one in 2016, I think it was. Like, I might have 35,000 downloads, which is nowhere close to what I had with the Kingdom of God or Nothing. And I think it's because I was trying to focus in on a more narrow demographic like with the kingdom of God or nothing people could see that from all different religions so we used to have callers calling worldwide from all different religions uh, into that program you know the kingdom of God or nothing it, it didn't um, it didn't denote that uh, that I was a believer in in the prophet Joseph Smith and, and whatever. Uh, and the restoration, but when I revamped, I started, I called it uh, Fundamentally Mormon because I'm trying to reach the saints. And now I have fewer listeners, and I'm not, you know, this podcast, uh, maybe it's because I go on tangents, maybe it's because I talk about things, I don't know, I talk about things that Maybe people don't want to hear. I don't understand it. (laughs) Anyway, I'll get back to my reading. There are many other stars or suns much bigger than ours. For instance, Regal, the brightest star in Orion, emits 13,000 times more light than our sun. By the way... Um, they they believe that Regal um, is ending its uh, its life, uh, that it's about to collapse and become a supernova within our lifetime, within the next like twenty or thirty years. That the scientists have indicated that uh, that they are they're seeing things from this this star. That uh, that indicate that it's about to uh, do a supernova on us. So that'll be interesting to see. And this is something that I've heard within the last month. Because uh, like I said, I listen to lectures. I love to learn everything I can about everything. And this is just one of the many things that I've learned about um, recently. So anyway, 
Betelgeuse is another star which would fill all the space between our Earth and our Sun. Some are larger than that by merely five times. It is interesting to compare these enormous creations to the smallest creation, the atom. And quote, a marvel of engineering by design. Oh, that's not a quote. Uh, that's just like the, uh, the author's, I don't know. Anyway, a marvel of engineering by design. And conclude that their constructions are basically the same. From the smallest to the greatest creations in the universe, construction is based upon the same principles, but certainly none of them came about by just chance. Page 16. The scientist Parley, or Pele, the scientist Pele describes the impossibility of chance creation of our solar system by comparing it to a man walking in the forest and finding a watch in operating condition with the correct time. By this simple discovery, he knew that some person of intelligence had created that watch and that it had not been formed by some accidental formation in the forest. The watch was evidence of intelligence displayed throughout the intricate creation and placement of wheels, cogs, hands, casting and glass cover he said the wonders of the universe are far far more complex and display much more intelligence than a functional watch than a functional watch found by chance in a forest and and another scientist used a similar parallel in describing the impossibility of the Earth's existence by chance, comparing it to a huge volcano exploding and its molten lava accidentally pouring out a new automobile with gas in the, the tank and the engine running. Great men in science, great men of science and religion agree both scientists and religionists can continue to ponder over the method of creation and speculate as to its origin but most admit that a super intelligence had to be the organizer and controller of such perfection in 1540 Nicholas Caprician or I can't say that word, Copernicus, I guess, proved against all previous conceptions that the earth rotated around the sun. He recognized the handiwork of God in the universe. Among the many and varied literary and artistic studies upon which the natural talent of man is nourished, I think that those above all should be embraced and pursued with the greatest zeal which have to do with things that are very beautiful and very worthy of knowledge. Such studies are those which deal with the godlike circular movements of the world, the course of the stars, their magnitudes, distances, risings, and settings, and the causes of the other celestial phenomenon. And we're on page 17 if you're reading along. Which, by the way, 
I always post the text to these programs, and I'll post a link in the description of the podcast uh, so you can read along, because I know that there's people who don't want to hear my voice, and they would rather just read this because they find this interesting, and they don't find me interesting, and that's fine. I'm just glad that they read it, that they consider that they that they seek to expand their mind to understanding things that they may not have considered before. You know, so I provide that um, so that people, just to, to like, spread the, spread the word, you know. Anyway, continuing on. <laughs> Let's see here. I'm just going to reread this. Such studies are those which deal with the godlike circular movements of the world, the course of the stars, their magnitudes, distances, rising and setting, and the causes of the other celestial phenomenon which finally explicate the whole form. For what could be more beautiful than the heavens which contain all beautiful things for the divine psalmist surely did not say gratuitously that he took pleasure in the workings of God and rejoiced in the words of his hands unless by means of these things as some sort of vehicle we are transported to the contemplation of the highest good contemplation contemplation of the highest good let's see here that's end quote revolutions of celestial spheres the world's great thinkers volume 4 page 43 and 44 we're actually at 36% through the reading I just can't get it off my mind right now I'm I know I'm going off onto another tangent, but like I have never tried to monetize any of my podcasts or any of my YouTube videos or any of my blogs. Um, I have one individual who sends me about $30 a month because uh, he feels like God has, um, because I'm his, he says, because God says that I'm his teacher and I'm the one that teaches him um, the most, I guess, Um, that he just feels like God is telling him to send me the the $30 a month. And I'm really grateful for that. Uh, You know, in his own small way, he's paying for a good deal of what I have to pay for as far as the subscription to the blog, blog talk radio. But this is never about money for me. But And I think about these other individuals who have these podcasts and stuff, and it's not just about the love of knowledge for them. It's like, we really need you to help us out. Like, send us money. Like, First of all, I guess it's my my belief in in 
the the wrongness of priestcraft trying to use religion to like gain money off of people maybe that's part of my problem but like well I do this first and foremost because God told me to do it um, to teach the people but also I do it like because I'm learning as I'm reading along you know I'm refreshing my memory uh, and my mind as I uh, delve into these different topics and that is a reward in itself but like I, I find it frustrating that I don't have uh, more people who listen to this, uh, listen to these programs. But I think it's just, I think it's interesting. Like the popular podcasts and YouTube accounts, they all ask for money, especially, um, especially people like Bill Real and RFM and John DeLynn. Like, this is like a business for them. And they're always asking for money to cover these different topics and interview these different people. And, like, I don't find this to be that expensive of a a venture. It's more time-consuming. I mean, I do spend about $400 a year on the service to to use the blog talk radio and that converts everything from the radio show into uh into a podcast or i can just upload these podcasts you know i do have about two thousand dollars uh well maybe $1,500 in devices that I use to to do this. And I could get way expensive in this. I mean, I could have mics and, and all kinds of soundboards and stuff, but I don't have that, you know. But I, you know, it's not like beyond the, the – I mean, this stuff that I use to do this podcast – I use to do a lot of other things, like my phone. I have an iPhone with a terabyte of memory, which I'm recording on right now. That's what I'm recording on, an iPhone. I think it's an iPhone 12 or 13, whatever. The newest model, I think the 14 came out. I think this is the 13. You know, and that was expensive. You know, I I spent more money, and it's not the 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 biggest one that they have. It's like whatever, but it's got a terabyte of memory in it. Um, I have an iPad that is a couple of years old that has 64 gigabytes in it that I use, and then I have an LG Wing that I use as well, uh, which is the biggest pain on the butt phone I've ever had, but. I, I really like the features of it, but you can't put a case on it. But that's that's it. That and internet service. You know. I don't know why these people that do these programs need to make so much money from it. Like, if Bill Real didn't have his job doing this he would be a manager of a pawn shop 
he's nothing. Like RFM, at least he was a lawyer, you know. John DeLynn, like he's got um, a degree in psychology and he he was some kind of, uh, I can't remember, he worked for Microsoft, I think. You know, while he was working on on getting his education, I guess. But like... I just don't understand why they think that they need to uh, solicit donations. And maybe it's just that I'm jealous. <laughs> and maybe I should just get back to the program and just read and stop talking about these things that come into my mind. But after all, this is Blog Talk Radio. and This is my personal blog, podcast, whatever you want to call it. All right, so like I said, we're at 36% through the reading for for this chapter. So about 100 years later, another scientist, Blaise Pascal, also gave God the credit for creating the world. As a philosopher, he wrote arguments for the Christian faith that supersede the best theologians. Quote, Let man contemplate the whole of nature in her full and grand majesty and turn his vision from the low object which surrounds him. Let him gaze on that brilliant light set like an eternal lamp to illuminate the universe. Yet the earth appeared to him a point in comparison comparison on the vast circle described by the sun and let him wonder at the fact that the vast circle is itself but a very fine point of comparison with that described by the stars in their revolution around the firmament the whole visible world is only an imperceptible atom in the ample bosom of nature no idea approaches it. In short, it is the greatest sensible mark of the almighty God, uh, power of God, that imagination loses itself in that thought. And quote the, the Great Thinkers, volume 1, page 199. One of the greatest minds of our time, Dr. Albert Einstein, recognize the existence of a great creator. The harmony of natural law reveals an intelligence of such superiority that compares with it all the systematic thinking and actions. Acting of human beings is an insignificant reflection, and that is the world as I see it by Einstein, page 267 and by the way we're on page 18 of mysteries of creation dr einstein once visited elder b.h roberts in his church office in salt lake city uh, utah during their conversation elder robert elder roberts was called out of his office for a few moments so b.h roberts was a president of the 70 um, I think back in his day, back in the 
30s, 40s, 50s, I guess. Somewhere in that time period. Anyway, um, let's see here. When he returned, Einstein was looking through Robert's library and was thumbing through the, the book Wonders of the Universe by Orson Pratt. Einstein said, who is this fellow Pratt? Einstein inquired. Uh, Roberts, B.H. Roberts, told him a little about Orson, Pratt, Orson Pratt's life and works, and Einstein replied, there were not a half dozen men on the earth at that time who understood the principles this man was writing about. And you know what? That might be lore. That might be true. I don't, I don't know. It sounds like a made-up story to me, but maybe it's true. Who knows? It could just be lore, though. A folk toe. I do like what Orson Pratt wrote on things. Um, anyway, it should be noted here that Pratt's book, Wonders of the Universe has been used as a text at the Royal Academy of Science in England. It is a study on the principles of astronomy, and he attributes the existence of all these heavenly orbs to a great creator. When you study all things, all these things, you are learning lessons concerning God. He it is who has thus organized all these materials of nature, has given them their proprieties, endowed them with their elasticities, placed them in certain proportions, or as one of the inspired writers says, he has weighed the mountains in the balance. Everything is adjusted in the best possible manner to carry on his operations throughout the great universe, which he has constructed. End quote, Wonders of the Universe, page 206. Astronomers and scientists may understand the composition, size, and courses of many of the planets and stars, but most of them do not comprehend the origin the power and the purpose of these creations. With all the worldly learning, men cannot even begin to comprehend the wonders of the universe without revelation from God. Fortunately, he has given further light and knowledge to his prophets, such as Abraham, Job, Isaiah, Moses, and David. And we're on page 19. Thousands of years ago, they were better informed about the mysteries of creation than the scientists of today. But unfortunately, only a small part of this knowledge has been recorded. Abraham, according to Brigham Young, could tell us more in five minutes about astronomy than was known by all the scientists in the world. For example, it is given unto thee, Abraham, to know the set time of all the stars that are set to give light until thou come near unto the throne of God. Thus I, Abraham, talked with the Lord face to face, as one man talketh with another, 
and he told me of the works which his hands had made. And he said unto me, My son, my son, and his hand was stretched out. Behold, I will show you all these things. And he put his hand upon my eyes, and I saw those things which his hand had made, which were many, and they multiplied before mine eyes, and I could could not see the end thereof. So that's Abraham chapter 3, verses 10 through uh, 12. Okay, I'm going off on a tangent, but it's a gospel tangent, so all right. So Abraham here in Abraham chapter 3 says that he, Abraham, talked with God face to face, which I have too, okay? But that's not the point. He's talking about Jehovah. He spoke with Jehovah face to face. This was before the time of the Tower of Babel, 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 whatever. This was before the time of the brother of Jared, and uh, who is Mohanrai Moriankumar. In Ether chapter 3, Jesus Christ says, Never at any time have I showed myself unto man. Okay? I, the reason I'm bringing this up is because there is a false doctrine in the modern church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Jesus Christ showed himself to Mohanrai Moriankumar as a spirit being, and he says, Never at any time have I showed myself unto man. Okay? Before Mohanrai Moriankumar was even born, Abraham said he talked with God or Jehovah face to face. Before the flood, Methuselah saw Jehovah. Enoch walked and talked with Jehovah face to face. Adam talked with God, or Jehovah, in the garden, walked and talked with him in the garden face to face. After all of that, after Abraham is dead, The brother of Jared in Ether chapter 3 says that he records Jesus as saying, I have never showed myself unto man. Jesus is not Jehovah. This is not a title game either. For those of you that are like, oh, Jesus is, or Jehovah is just a title. No, it's not. Jehovah is the name of of our grandfather. Jesus Christ or Yeshua ben Yosef or Yeshua whatever, Hamashiach, whatever you want to say in Hebrew. 
he is not Jehovah. They are two individual people. Not the same person. In the LDS Church, this was understood and known before the death of Brigham Young. During the time of the presidency of John Taylor, it began to change. And by the time of Heber J. Grant, it was completely changed and cemented in the popular culture and lore of the LDS Church. And they called it a doctrine, and it was a lie from the devil. Because the devil wants you to not understand who these people are, who Jehovah is, who Michael is, who Jesus is, who I am. And as many times and as many ways as I can show that they are two different individuals, people are so stuck in their 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 believing the lies of false doctrine that they receive strong delusion that they might be damned because they do not love the truth enough to go to God to find out what the truth is. For one, if you lack wisdom and ask God, James chapter one verse five, but they they just they care about their culture. They care about being um, accepted by the majority of, of, you know, they want to be popular in the world. And unfortunately, that includes popularity in the church because the church in its in its grand um, progression towards being so rich and popular with the world, they have changed many ordinances. They've changed the endowments. They've changed the anointings. They have changed who Jesus Christ and Jehovah are. Jesus Christ told Joseph Smith in section 85 of the Doctrine and Covenants that he would have to send one mighty and strong, holding the scepter of power, clothed with light for a covering, to set the house of God in order, implying it would become out of order, which it has. And by the way, for those of you who think that you can set the house of God in order by just doing all the things that you think need to be done, Jesus said that the, the, the one who would hold or that would set the house of God in order would hold the scepter of power. And that scepter of power would be given to him to do the work. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but you can, and you can even do everything you're supposed to do, and you're still out of order because there has to be priesthood keys involved in doing the work to set the house of God in order. And you can do everything that you, you think that you need to do, and you're still out of order because you don't have those that scepter of power or those keys of authority. Anyway, we're at 52% of the reading for right now, so let me just get back into this. And I might even make this into two different programs, I'm not sure. The importance of Abraham's account of creation is emphasized by Dr. Frank Salisbury, quote, Upon more careful 
upon more careful study of the book of Abraham, it became increasingly apparent to me why the book was restored to mankind. There is a valuable historical there is valuable historical information in the first two chapters, and chapter three is a marvelous view of the insight held by some of the ancients into the workings of the universe, the realities of the God who created it, and the special adobe um, and his special abode in it. Adobe, I don't know. The creation story itself proves to be a unique and marvelous view of creation. It is probably the greatest insight available to man today into the nature of God's creative powers. Creation is portrayed not as an act of magic, but as the application of extreme intelligence, truly a divine engineering. And we're on page 20. And let me just say... The more I know about God and the more visions that I've had, um, well, uh, I don't have as many visions and dreams as I used to have. Uh, and they started to slow down in 2017 in the time, like after, like God told me in 2013 that a certain time period and then the, the, the time of darkness would begin. And we're in that now. And... I don't know what it is, but I don't I don't have as many visions and dreams and revelations like as I have had before and I have had a lot. And that doesn't happen as much anymore, but um going back to what God has shown me in the past the more I understand about who he is the more I understand him and his civilization to be extremely advanced in their technology and their science. The things that we consider miracles are high science to them. It's like if you go back and you show a caveman um, a flamethrower, they're going to be like, oh, magic, because uh, they don't understand it. We're as primitive to God and his civilization as the caveman is to our civilization. Like, the, the, the closeness in technology to the primitive man, to our time, and I'm just using this as an example, is but a minute step compared to what we would have to, to attain to understand and to, to, to attain the level of the high technology and advances uh, sophistication of those who are called the Elohim to God the Eternal. Like... The work that God has done on this planet is a great and marvelous work, but when you see them in their their realm, when when Abraham or Moses or whoever saw 
solve the stuff, you know, and he's like, oh, whoa, am I? I'm undone. Like, like Isaiah said, I'm undone. Oh, like, like that you have no idea. How, like if, like we we think of these programs like Star, um, what is it called, Star Trek, or like, like that's primitive technology compared to what they have some of the crystal ships and just the the mind read and I, I just I like it's so far beyond explanation that it's hard to describe how advanced they are And I don't know if people 200 years ago could even begin to comprehend what I'm laying out to you or like we might be able to understand things a little bit better because we have more information. But even with all the information that we have, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Michio Kaku would marvel at the advanced knowledge and technology of the civilization of the Elohim and God the Eternal. Their intelligence is most supreme. Their engineering is the most supreme. Their understanding of the elements of energy and how to manipulate it to organize galaxies and the universe is beyond our mere comprehension of even the brightest and most intelligent minds on the planet. And if we were to see it, and I have seen some of it, we would proclaim like Isaiah, I am undone. Continuing on. There was planning and preparation. Councils were held. Nothing like this is apparent from the Genesis or the Moses accounts, and nothing could be more important for modern man to understand. Anyway, that was all from a quote. The Creation by Salisbury, page 83. Job also must have understood a great deal of the universe. Quote, Is not God in the highest of heavens? And behold the height of the stars and how high they are. And thou sayest, How doth God know? Can he judge through the dark cloud? Thick clouds are covering to him, a covering to him that he seeth not and walketh not in the circuit of heaven. Job chapter tw- uh, 22, verses 12 through 14. 
What did Job mean by the speaking of the circuit of heaven? Undoubtedly, it was the circuit of the stars and the planets as they revolve in the heavens. For example, we know that the earth orbits the sun at 66,500 miles an hour, while the sun in its system is circling the core of our galaxy, the Milky Way, at approximately 600,000 miles an hour making one complete revolution in 20 million years. The Milky Way is, in turn, believed to be orbiting a supercluster of 2,500 nearby galaxies at something over 1 million miles per hour, while simultaneously moving outward through space at an estimated speed of over 300,000 miles an hour. And quote, The Footstool of God by Rodney Turner, pages 3 and 4. Dr. Turner explained, quote, Although the stars comprising a given galaxy appear to the astronomers to be in an aimless random motion, they are nevertheless under the... uh, ultimate control of an overruling providence. On page 21, if you're reading along, invisible hands direct the stellar traffic down the trafficless highway of galactic space. These bodies with their planetary systems constitute wheels within wheels of time and motion. And quote, and that's from the same book, page three. Isaiah talked about the circle of the earth over 2,000 years before Columbus set sail, and the history books teach that Columbus discovered the earth was round. It is that, or it is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants thereof that are as grasshoppers. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. And let me just say something about Columbus. He didn't go around the whole Earth. I think that was Magellan that did that, and I could be wrong about that. Like I've forgotten more than I've ever read, or if that's the the quote, whatever, it doesn't matter. Columbus was a Jew who became a Protestant, or a Catholic, I think. Moses, or Moshe, was instructed by the Lord God and shown many of his creations nearly 4,000 years ago. Let me just say real quick, everywhere in the King James Bible where you see the Lord God, in the Hebrew it is Yehovah, or the Tetragrammaton, Y-H-V-H, or um, Yehovah Elohim, or Yehovah our Elohim. And... God, or Jehovah, spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, I am Jehovah Elohim Almighty, or Lord, the Lord God Almighty. And behold, thou art my son. Wherefore, look, and I will show thee the workmanship of mine hands, but not all. For my works are without end, and also my words, for they never cease." And it came to pass that Moses looked and beheld the world upon which he was created. And that's Moses chapter uh, 1, verses 3, 4, and 8. And I think some something else interesting to, to uh, 
consider in these uh, verses, uh, verses one through six, really, but even even up to eight. Um, so it is Yehovah our Elohim that appeared to Moses, and Yehovah tells Moses, "Thou art in the similitude of mine only begotten Son." Okay. Now, why am I bringing this up? And I've brought this up before, and I'm bringing it up again because repetition, like hopefully you learn from this. Jehovah tells Moses, Jehovah tells Moses that Moses is in the very similitude of his only begotten son. Now, if Jesus Christ is Jehovah and Jesus Christ is the only begotten son, In modern Mormon theology, Jesus is telling Moses that he has an only begotten son. Jesus will at at a future point, but in Mormon theology, Jesus is the only begotten son. So how could Jesus, if Jesus is Jehovah, tell Moses that Moses is in the similitude of Jesus' only begotten son? He isn't saying that at all. Because Jesus and Jehovah are two separate individuals. Jesus is not the premortal Jehovah. Jesus is the grandson of Jehovah. Jehovah told Moses, Moses, you are in the similitude of my only begotten son. Well, who is Jehovah's only begotten son? See, this gets confusing, too, for the modern Mormon who comes to it with no prophets and no revelation and has changed the restoration. The only begotten son of Jehovah is Michael. That's why in the endowment, Jehovah is instructed by the Elohim or the gods under the direction of God the Eternal to take Michael to create the earth because Jehovah is the father and Michael is his only begotten son. And when Michael organizes and names and creates the earth, another word for create or the the, the meaning of the word create in Hebrew means to organize. Michael organized this earth. Jehovah showed him how to do it, but Michael did the work. Michael named the plants and the animals. He did the work of creation for this earth. Now, we're going to talk about this uh, in the future in this very book about Jehovah and Michael and Jesus and, and who created what. But just real quick, Jesus Christ organized the spirits and he is a creator in that way because he had the work of organizing the spirits as Michael's only begotten son, as our elder brother. But Jesus did not organize this earth. Michael did. 
and Michael did it under the direction of Jehovah. And Jehovah is the father of Michael, and Michael is his only begotten son, and Michael becomes Adam, the Adam of this earth. And for every earth, there is an Adam and an Eve. They, the Michael and his wife Ashura took upon themselves the name of God the Eternal, which is God the Eternal Father, who is Adam, and God the Eternal Mother, who is Hava. And for some reason that was transliterated into Eve, but her name was Hava. Jehovah on an older earth was an Adam to an earth. And his wife was an Eve to that earth, and they took upon themselves the name of God, the eternal father and mother for that earth. That's why Jehovah was able to show Michael how to do it, because he did it before him. And when Jesus says, I do nothing except for what I see the father do, the father or Jesus saw the father organize this earth being Michael. And Jesus, you know, he becomes the new Adam. It's very literal. Jesus is the new Adam. For the new earth that is created, that is spoken of in the book of Revelation that John saw, for that new earth, Jesus is the new Adam. Michael will take Jesus and show him how to create the uh, that new earth, and Jesus will name the animals on that earth and organize that world and become the Adam of that world. Scripture is not for private interpretation. In order to understand the truth of Scripture, you have to be a prophet and you have to get this information from God or hear the prophet who has got this information from God. Joseph Smith was the prophet of the restoration. He laid down the foundation for which Zion will be redeemed. But I have been shown these things as a true prophet and true witness of the Father and the Son. And that's why I know these things. And you're hearing these things, you're hearing this truth from a true prophet. I didn't get this interpretation of scripture by my own logic or my own thoughts. I got it from God through revelation. And I had just enough information to go on, which was revealed by the prophet Joseph Smith, that I might ask the questions to receive these answers, to receive the true interpretation of truth. The scriptures without revelation are just confusing because we take our interpretations through our own logic and we trust in the mind, the flesh of our own minds. And there's a curse that comes with trusting in the flesh alone. You've got to go to God to understand the truth. You can hear a prophet. You can hear me. You can hear Joseph Smith. You can even hear Jesus Christ. But without revelation... To understand the true interpretation of scripture, 
you you will believe in the lies of false doctrine because they come from the mind of men without revelation. True, true scripture, true interpretation of scripture always comes by revelation to the mind of the prophet and God is the one that gives it. Anyway, continuing on. David also spoke of his knowledge and knowledge of and reverence for the great creator. Quote, by the word of the Lord or by the word of Jehovah were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Psalms chapter 33, verse 6. So Jehovah speaks and the word is done. So let's go back into the context of what I've been talking about. Jehovah instructed Michael how to do it. And Michael did it. Continuing on, the heavens declare his righteousness for all the people see his glory. Psalms chapter 97 verse 6. He telleth the number of the stars, and he calleth them by their names. Psalms chapter 147, verse 4. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou hast visited him? Psalms chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. We're on page 22 at 67% of the reading for today. With such an understanding of the earth, the sun and the stars, David concluded, quote, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Psalms chapter 14, verse 1. Like the plants, the fowl, the fish, and other animal life, The earth has life in itself and is obedient to the commandments of its creator. Brigham Young stated, There is a spirit in the earth, and I am inclined at this stage of my remarks to expose my ignorance. I am not aware that any of the philosophers or astronomers have told you that the earth is a living creature and breathes as much as you and I do. It is the life in the earth that forces the internal waters to the summits of some of the highest mountains, which often gush out, forming lakes and springs. And quote, Teachings of Brigham Young, Volume 3, page 241. Helaman stated that the earth is more obedient to God than is man. Quote, Oh, how great is the nothingness of the children of men! Yea, even they are less than the dust of the earth. For behold, the dust of the earth moveth hither and thither to the dividing ascender at the command of our great and everlasting God. Yea, behold, at his voice do the hills and the mountains tremble and quake. Yea, and if he say unto the earth, Move, it is moved. Helam in chapter 12, verses 7 through 9 and 13. A few other examples showing obedience of the elements of the earth are Moses parting the, the Red Sea, Exodus 14, 21 through 22, 
and smiting the rock and getting water from it, Exodus 17, 5 and 6. Jesus walking on the water, Matthew 14, 24 through 26, and calming the storm at the at, at sea, which is talked about in Mark chapter 4, 37 through 39, and Luke chapter 8, 23 through 25, and we're on page 23. And my wife is showing me her beautiful flowers that she has grown. Where did you even get that from? A student gave it to me and I didn't kill it. A student gave it to you and you did not kill it. Yes, and I'm very proud of that. And you're very proud of that. Yes. And she has it in our living room on top of our... Look how many flowers bloomed. I know. <laughs> it is pretty good. So usually I get up pretty early in the morning to do these programs. And today I didn't get up till a little bit later. So everybody's starting to wake up now at this point. I hear rumblings upstairs. My daughter Eliza, who slept on the couch, is waking up. Tucker, the dog, is waking up. Amberly is smiling at me and my wife... She's going to a birthday party, and she's so excited. Hey, I'm recording. Shush. Here we go. This is why I get up so early in the morning. This is why you very rarely hear Kimberly reading anymore on any of the programs, because she has to sleep sometimes. It's just weird that I think I have a problem sleeping, because I'll sleep for like two or three hours or I might sleep five hours. Very rarely do I sleep more than that. And then I get up before everyone else to do the to do the program because of all of the uh, the noise in the background when they're awake. And I'm just sitting on my couch with my uh, my iPhone and my my iPad and my uh, my wing and a glass of water to do this anyway um, I'm going to pause it for a minute while they make all of their noise and hopefully they will simmer down here in a minute I kind of wish that they so I'm going to start recording again I kind of wish that um, like they, they could hear more of this stuff that I talk about because I want them to to think about these things too, even my little kids. Um, so I'm kind of glad that they're awake, but they are distracted doing all of the things. And um, that's just the way it is. So anyway, we're on page 23, and I'll continue with the reading. And you'll probably hear them in the background a little bit, but hopefully it won't be too much. I know that you guys hear the the roosters in the background because I listen to these programs after I record them and I can hear the roosters, the free-range ro- free chickens in our front yard making all kinds of noise. And thank goodness we don't have the goats closer to the house or you would hear them talking as well because they are all about talking all the time. Goats are so funny. Anyway, I love the animals. Um, and Tucker, the dog, is uh, looking at me, and I think he wants to talk too, but at least he doesn't talk as much. So, All right, but he loves it when I say his name. So. <laughs> 
prophets in this last dispensation also had some knowledge of the wonders of the universe and attributed its creation to a supreme being. In fact, the prophet Joseph Smith may have been way ahead of his time by knowing and understanding things about the universe that scientists that science has been slowly grasping. For instance, the theory of relativity discovered by Dr. Einstein could have been familiar to the prophet Joseph Smith. Professor Melvin A. Cook explained, quote, in the peculiar geometry of the relativity, any straight line circles the universe. A re- revelation to Joseph Smith presented this a revelation to Joseph Smith presented the same concept, quote, for God God doth not walk in crooked paths, neither do doeth he doth he turn to the right hand or to the left. Therefore his paths are straight and his course is one eternal round. Doctrine and Covenants section three verse two. This is equivalent to saying that our straight four vector is a circle, a sensible statement in relativity. And quote creation and eternalism by Cook, page twenty-three. Other interesting information excuse me, other interesting information was also revealed by the prophet Joseph Smith. Quote The earth rolls upon her wings, and the sun giveth his light by day, and the moon giveth her light by night, and the stars also give their light as they roll upon their wings in their glory, in the midst of the power of God. Unto what shall I liken these kingdoms, that that ye may understand? Behold, all these are kingdoms, and any man who hath seen any or the least of these hath seen God moving in his majesty and power. Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verses 45 through 47. But this life is not all. The voice of reason, the language of inspiration, and the spirit of the living God, our Creator, teaches us as we hold the record of truth in our hands that this is not the case, that this is not so. For the heavens declare the glory of a God, and the firmament showeth his work. And we're on page 24 if you're reading along. And a moment's reflection is sufficient to teach every man of common intelligence that all these things, that all these are not the mere productions of chance, nor could they be supported any by any power less than the Almighty Hand. And he that can mark the power of omnipotence inscribed upon the heavens. can also see God's own handwriting in the sacred volume. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 14. Orson Pratt spent a great deal of his life in the study of astronomy and became a professor and a lecturer upon the subject. During one of his discourses in 1875, he read from parts of of Doctrine and Covenants section 88, 
which dwelt in the field of science, and after reading them, he commented, quote, I have read these sayings from a revelation given a little over 42 years ago to that youth called Joseph Smith, a farm's boy. Do they sound like the ravings of a madman? Do they sound like something that was invented or composed by the wisdom of man? Or do they sound like truth? Joseph Smith was not a learned man. He had to work for his he had to work for his living when he was a lad, and when God called him, he gave these revelations through him. He had not studied any more than the generality of young men who now sit in the congregation and probably near not near as much. Yet these words were given to him, and they contain information and knowledge far beyond that which you will find recorded in the writings of the learned of the learned information expressed so simply that a common mind can in some degree grasp it and yet so sublime and so great that when we come to investigate its depths it requires greater powers and greater understanding than what man naturally possesses and quote Wonders of the Universe by Orson Pratt, page 197. i got to say something real quick. I think I understand something that maybe other people might not understand about Joseph Smith. Because he was an unlearned man and God revealed to him many things and gave him revelations. And he's done the same thing to me, so I'm a truck driver. I don't have a college degree. I have been to college. Um, I didn't even complete the 10th grade. Um, My aunt and uncle took me out of school a month before 10th grade ended so that I could start working. And then uh, a month later, I was on my own. Like, they just left. And uh, I became homeless shortly thereafter. And that ended my public schooling. (laughs) Um, I was able to get a degree in diesel mechanics and a CDL and become a truck driver. So that was nice. And then I did go to college um, for a couple semesters later in life uh, because I wanted to learn and whatever. And uh, my, my first wife was very, uh, I was not good enough for her family, so she was President Hinckley's great-niece, and everybody in their family is all college-educated, and I'm just like some dirty, rotten truck driver who's a convert, who's had a crazy history, you know, so I tried to go to college for to, to become a counselor or something, even though all I ever wanted to be was a truck driver. I definitely did not want to be a prophet or anything like it. Or any kind of leader or whatever. All I've ever wanted to do is just be a truck driver. That's it. Whatever. But with that being said, God has given me revelations. Written revelations. God has given me visions. He's shown me a lot of things. In the written revelations, when I read them, when I first write them, I'm like, oh, this is very interesting. 
But as I read them and ponder them more, I realize that there's more being said than I first understood. And I think Joseph Smith was the same way. God gives him a revelation. He writes it down and then he learns from the revelation. And the more he delves into the revelations that he has given, the more insight he is given as he ponders over them and studies over them. And in that way, I too, as I have written revelation that God has has told me to sit down and write, I see things that I never saw before. Like I read over things like we all do in scripture. And then as we ponder scripture, we're like, oh, I didn't I didn't realize that before. I didn't recognize that. I didn't understand that. And the more I I read the revelations that God gave to other people, but also the revelations that He's given to me, I'm just like like I didn't write this. Or I didn't make this up. I was it's the mind of God that gives me the words to write the revelations, just like Joseph Smith. And I think I have more insight in this way to Joseph Smith, being a prophet like he was, to understanding him more thoroughly, and also understanding other prophets, and even understanding Jesus Christ more thoroughly because of the experiences that I have been given that I don't think most people can really grasp. I used to say that being a prophet was like being a man on the top of a mountain. It's a really lonely place, but you're closer to God, but you want the people to come up. It's like when Moses was upon the top of the mountain and he beckoned for the elders of Israel to come upon the mountain, which they could have done, but they wouldn't. And his company was few in number. And I lamented for a long time. I wanted others to understand some of the things that I, just to be on the same level. And I know this sounds like I'm being grandiose or like prideful but like to be up on the mountaintop is to be close to God but it is a lonely place to be and Somebody like myself or like Moses wanted the people to come up and see and understand what he was seeing and understood. But there's few that that choose to do that. And even those like Aaron that come up a portion of the way, they never really come up to the height of the mountain. So even though Aaron and others who maybe went up a little bit, they could understand more of what Moses was dealing with, what he was seeing, what he was experiencing. They still didn't go up to where he was. Anyway, it's just something that I've contemplated over the years. 
We're on page 25 and we're at 86% through this chapter. Because of his vast knowledge on the subject of science and creation, Orson Pratt probably had a greater appreciation of the universe. Quote, what rational being can look upward into the blue vault of heaven and behold the sun in its effulgent glory, the moon shining with a silvery brightness, exhibiting its ever-varying changes in the stars, bespangling the vast concave of the nocturnal sky, twinkling, as it were, with joy and brightening up the dark, unfathomable abyss of the unknown immensity. What rational being, we again inquire, can behold this august and sublime scenery without feeling the most intense desire to unlock the heavenly archives and read from the great book of creation, the grand science of the origin of worlds, the laws by which they are governed and their eternal destinies. Kings upon their thrones and the humblest shepherds in the field have alike participated in the sublime, the sublime emotion. The poet, enraptured with the magnificent glories of the heavens, has poured forth his sublimest effusions. Eff- eff- <laughs> I don't know how to say that word. Kim, come here. How do you say this? Enraptured with the magnificent glories of heavens has poured forth the sublimest effusions in the most. Oh, I don't know what effusions means. I guess I'm going to look it up. So in the Oxford American Writers Thesaurus, effusion is a noun, a massive effusion of poisonous gas from a volcanic lake or an outflow outpouring Outflowing, outrush, rush, current, flood, deluge, emissions. Okay, so the, um, oh, hold on. The New Oxford American Dictionary states that effusion is a noun, an instance of giving off something such as a liquid light or a smell, um, an example is a massive infusion of poisonous gases. Okay, I've heard of infusion before. Medicine, an escape of fluid into a body cavity. An act of take, talking or writing in an unrestrained or heartfelt way. Or a literary effusion. In its origin is late Middle English from Latin effusion or f. Fundery to pour out or to effuse. Okay, so that's interesting. All right, so the poet enraptured with the magnificent glories of the heavens has poured forth his sublimest infusion in the most melting, harmonious strains of glowing of glowing eloquence. While the man of God with loftier views and higher aspirations 
has soared aloft from the nature's author and overpowered with the finite greatness and resplendent glories which surround him on every side. He He bows in humble adoration before the great eternal and exclaims, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visited him? And quote masterful discourses of Orson Pratt compiled by N.B. Lundwald, page 293. Brigham Young was also well acquainted with the complexities of creation. Quote, there is an eternity of elements and an eternity of space, and there is no space without a kingdom. Neither is there any kingdom without a space. We're on page 26 at 93% of the reading for today. Were the best were the best mathematicians to multiply figures from the time he first commenced to learn at five or ten years of age until he is 100 years old or until he has exhausted the capacity of figures known to man. He can then tell no more about the number of the creations of God in comparison than a mere child who knows nothing whatever of figures. There is no beginning, no end. There is no bounds, no time, when the elements will cease to be organized into bodies with all the variety you have a faint specimen of on in this earth. Teachings of Brigham Young, Volume 3, page 345 to 346, compiled by Fred Collier. Both ancient and latter-day prophets probably understood also the concept of seeing into the past, present, and future. Dr. Melvin A. Cook makes an interesting observation. Another transcendent Transcendent, transcendent concept of modern revelation <clears throat> is the interesting and largely incomprehensible concept that time can flow in reverse. This is implicit in the description in Doctrine and Covenants section 130 verse 7 that all these things in the past as well as the present and future are continually before the Lord let's see here I think there's a typo here it says O dot E overseeth in an article oh I guess oh there's just there should be a, a parenthesis here to end the quote um, that was written in an article in October 1969 in the Scientific American Discussion. Uh, okay. I think somebody got lazy in their editing work here. And uh, I know who that is, and I could call her, but I'm not going to bother her with it. It, it was a, a great deal, a great job for... Um, 
Kevin and Beverly Kraut to get all of this into uh, into the 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 format where they could share this stuff online for free because all of this stuff was written by Ogden Kraut back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. And a lot of it wasn't on a computer. Like Ann Wilde had to type these things out on a typewriter or Ogden just penned it. Like um, the book 95 Thesis, Ogden was on Highway 89 and God told him to write and he pulled over and got a, a hotel room or a motel room, I think in Fairview or I think it was Fairview. And he wrote the book in like a day or two, just writing. And it had to be transcribed and edited and and whatever, like for punctuation and stuff like that. But like, that's how Ogden was. And Kevin knew that this stuff needed to be made available for free. And he created a website and uh, where we can, and I have all these books in print, but that's expensive. And doing the website isn't, isn't cheap either, but they did it so that it could be available for free to whoever wanted to read this stuff that Ogden um, compiled. But the massive undertaking of putting 78 publications onto a website, it was difficult. They did it themselves. And so when you have these little errors or these little mistakes, like I call, I'll call Kevin or Beverly up when I find big ones and I'll say, hey, uh, you know, this is a, this is a mess here. Can you go change it? And they actually will go in and change it. But they're very busy in their lives. And I'm not going to bug them about every little uh, uh, lack of a parenthesis to end a quote. Or every little lack or uh, screw up of a word or something that we can all just read over and not and realize, okay, well, that should have been there in its moment. So anyway... Let's see. Scientific American discussed the, the possibility of the reverse flow of time, showing that scientists are beginning to think along these lines. And that's uh, Creation and Eternalism by Cook, page 24. Thus, it is evident that both science and religion have generally agreed that the universe with its galaxies and solar system did not come into existence by chance. That there was and is a great creator for each heaven and earth, but there is still much speculation as to how much, as to how it was constructed. And some of these differing conclusions will be considered in the following chapter. So the next chapter, when we come back on, for the reading of this book will be uh, starting on page 27 and it's chapter three and it's called the birth of the earth. 
So I really, really enjoy this book. This is one of my favorite books, and I'm happy to be rereading it with better microphone and better just the way I'm doing it uh, this time. Um, I'm really happy that that I'm able to do this. Now, um, let me see real quick. I'm trying to open up. Uh, So if you want to read any of this stuff, it's ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And I will also put this stuff on my... um, uh, I'll put this on my... The thing that I... My platform so that people can read it. When you go to Ogden Kraut, you'll come up to the first page and it says, Welcome to OgdenKraut.com. And that gives you a phone number so you can contact Kevin or Beverly or Amy. Um, and then uh, Enzyme to the Nations, it'll give you a thing. You can you can buy these, these volumes of these books that they've compiled into seven volumes. Uh, but if you go down just below that, it says if you want to read Ogden's book, books online here uh click here or the link to the left so click on that and it brings you to read books online and i'm not going to go over all of them because it is huge the number of books um well i guess i could just read it since well, you know what? Actually, I'll read that in a minute. I did want to go over the chapters and tell you what the different chapters are for the mysteries of creation. Uh, so you have an idea of what we're going to be talking about as we go through this book and the different things that uh, that we'll be discussing in each chapter. So let me just see here. Okay. So you have the introduction. That's chapter one. And then Wonders of the Universe is chapter two, which is what we just read. And then chapter three is The Birth of the Earth. Something out of nothing, question mark. And like I love all of these chapters. Chapter four is Who is the Creator? And it talks about God as the Creator or Jesus Christ as the Creator. um, Jehovah as the Creator. So we'll go through all of that. And then, um, let's see here. Okay, chapter five talks about the times and seasons, basically going over God's time versus man's time. Chapter six is the two creations, spiritual and temporal. So like in the book of Bereshit or Genesis, um, there is two creations. And this has made people marvel for a long time. They're like, why is there two creations? And why aren't they the same? And one is a spiritual creation and one is is a physical creation or a spiritual organization and a physical organization. And we'll talk about that in chapter six. In chapter seven, if I can get to it, Okay, chapter 7 talks about the ni- the names, the titles, and offices. And let me just read the first paragraph or two of this, because I want you to understand what this chapter is. It's an important chapter. 
The names and titles used in scripture to describe deity are are multitude. Some names are actually titles that signify a particular office, work, mission, authority, etc. For this reason, it has resulted in much confusion and controversy, causing many to misunderstand the proper identity and position of God and Christ, the Christ of this earth. Some of these titles are Elohim, Jehovah, God, Christ, and Only Begotten are especially confusing because they do not necessarily apply to one particular person. Since more than one person can hold a particular title, and since one person could hold more than one title at a time, it is important to define and know the meaning and powers related to these titles and offices. Okay, so that's what that's that, and that chapter is so very the information in this chapter is so very important to understand see in order to understand the truth you have to understand it in its place and if you just come at it without any understanding there's going to be a lot of things that are very confusing and that's where you get the mind of man interpreting scripture which comes with a curse because the only interpretation that that is the true interpretation is God's interpretation and if you lack wisdom you're supposed to go to God and get it from him meaning you become a prophet which God wants you to become but if you trust in the mind of the flesh including the flesh of your own mind for your own personal interpretations or the interpretations of the religious man or woman, you are trusting in the flesh of men and women or the flesh of, the, of their minds or the flesh of your mind, and you begin to believe false doctrines. And there's a principle in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that, that says, if all they who believe the lie, and that could be the lie of false doctrine, they receive strong delusion that they all might be damned because they don't love the truth. When you don't come at it from the proper understanding, you will receive strong delusion because you didn't love it, love God enough to go to him to get the truth from him and he's the only one that has the correct interpretation of scripture you can hear the prophet you can hear the teacher you can read the books you can read the scripture but unless you go to god with that without his inspiration and revelation you will not understand truth not fully and you will invariably have false doctrines that you believe so you believe the lie and you will receive strong delusion because you didn't love the truth enough to go to God to find out what his truth is what his interpretation is all right so that's chapter seven chapter eight we're going to talk about Jehovah which is also a very important chapter and like I've already alluded to in this chapter and the last chapter and a whole bunch of other places. Jesus Christ and Jehovah are not the same person. 
And in order to understand truth, you have to understand who they are and why they are who they are. So we'll get into that. And I'm pretty sure that's going to be a really long chapter for me because I'm going to add a whole lot of stuff that I personally understand and know that I've received from Revelation about this topic. Um, Chapter 9 is going to talk, we're going to talk about the only begotten. And this is going to boggle your mind because there's more than one only begotten. Let me just read this real real quick. The only begotten is a title. Among the many titles given to Jesus was the only begotten. It is, in a sense, a spiritual sense, and misnomer because Jesus was not the only child begotten of the Father, since we are all begotten sons and daughters of the Father. So this term should be considered as another title or office. To better understand the title of only begotten, another title must be comprehended in conjunction with it, that of the firstborn. The firstborn child of the Father is the eldest. Therefore, upon him rests rest most of the authority and jurisdiction among um, and responsibility. Among the Hebrews, the firstborn or eldest son often carried the position of the father or head of the house. So, and it also talks about the titles of the firstborn being sometimes referred to God, the father. Because he is a firstborn. He is an only begotten. And I talked about that in this in this uh, this reading today. Um and sometimes it's talking about Jesus Christ, who is a firstborn or only begotten. And he even talks about I think the Holy Spirit being an only begotten as well. But see, these things aren't understood by the mind of man. But I've been given a lot more understanding on these things, so I'm going to share them with you as I read through this about these things, which uh, I try to do. Because, like, I, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that God told me to do this, I would not be doing this work. I just keep it to myself because I don't want to stir up anything. Anyway, chapter 10, it talks about begotten sons and daughters. So it's talking about all the begotten of the Father. And uh, chapter 11 is uh, confined to this world. Um, So chapter 12 is the plurality of gods, and we'll talk about that. Another problem in the creation account we'll be discussing in this chapter, whether it was one or two or more individuals who played a part in, in the creation of this earth. Some scriptures declare that there are three gods, while a few indicate there is only one God. From the Book of Mormon come these confusing statements. And actually, I'm not going to read that. But anyway, so we'll talk about the plurality of gods and we'll go into that. Uh, We'll talk about in chapter 13, the father and son relationship. In chapter 14, we'll talk about gods and the sons of God. B'nai Elohim. In chapter 15, we'll talk about the fullness of glory and what that is. Chapter 16, we'll be talking about creating plants and animals or organizing them. Uh, chapter 17, we'll, be, we'll talk about the creating of mortal men. 
And chapter 18 will talk about Adam, which is many, meaning there are there is an Adam for each earth. And we'll go through the scriptural context of those things. Chapter 19 will be called the eternal destiny of the earth and man. And uh, it's like all of these chapters are great. And then chapter 20 is the conclusion. So anyway, that's what we're going to be going over for the next however long it takes us to get through each of these chapters. And then I think I'm going to um, cover, as it is translated correctly, because that's another book that I did early on in 2016. And I want to redo it because I've got better recording, better a better format. Um, I want to redo it because I want it to be done the way things are, the, the way things have turned out to be done the way I do it today or whatever. So anyway, all right, well, that's the, uh, the end of the reading. And I just want to thank everybody for listening to this, who has hung in with me. And I want to remind people that you can read along with me. Uh, and I think reading along and listening actually helps you to comprehend and to understand better Uh, At least it does for me. So, all right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this program. And I hope that God blesses you in your endeavors. And I say these things in the name of Messiah. Amen. You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.